Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today's film in the States is known as Furious 7, but here in Australia it is Fast and Furious 7. And uh, just a heads up, we're going to be talking about the film. Having seen it, there will be spoilers on this podcast. Now, Lloyd, I understand that you committed many nights to watching the entire Fast and Furious franchise in the lead-up. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I saw all of them over a weekend because I gave up after number two, so I watched four, five, and six. <laughs> and I'm guessing five and six were the best <laughs> when The Rock is introduced. Well, I just want to get into it uh, quickly that I, I really want to want people to know that we grew up with the Fast and the Furious franchise. I think, Dave, it came out in 2001, the first one, and we were in college, uh, so yep. year 12 for everyone outside of uh, ACT. And uh, I saw firsthand what that film did for our generation. It's a B-grade Roger Corman movie. Nothing against that. It was a lot of fun. And it's definitely not a great film by any means. But when it came out, out, none of us had ever seen anything like that. And to be be honest, not many people in the world knew much about the street racing subculture. Uh, I feel like this movie really put that subculture on the map. And thank heavens it's Fast and the Furious because it could have easily been screwed up. Up, and this uh, sub racing street culture would have never gotten to the mainstream like i think there was a motorbike movie that they tried to make off fast and the furious like it's not racing with cars it's racing it's with talk yeah and that movie yeah. bombed miserably it just shows you how easy it is to screw up uh this sort of um you know material and fast and furious did a really good job of making it mainstream when this movie played we were taken to these extremely exaggerated races utilizing cgi we were were taken to the inside of a car and things none of us knew about such as nos although everyone pretended they knew what it was neon lights uh it really defined the subculture i feel and most of the film looked great it looked like a music video all the cars had these beautiful colors the entire cast were absolutely stunning i think paul walker and vin diesel were perfectly cast as like the poster child for the whole franchise and everyone they cast in subsequent films were pretty good arguably the third one not so much but i didn't have (laughs) big issues with the third one but most what the film did for me it showed a really fantastic world that's inclusive of all cultures and i I know a lot of people can say that it's um you know it was just for marketing they had to cast asian people african people you know to get a wider audience as possible but i think what rob cohen did there with the fast and the furious was was really highlight the subculture the street races and show a world that's really inclusive of all cultures it shows asians latins africans anglos with no racial references to them it gave them all a style and a language for audiences to cheer it's a really wonderful thing that 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 the film did and i think rob cohen deserves a lot of credit because fast and the furious we have huge sales of cars like from around the world i i'd been to these street racing gatherings (laughs) there's not much in canberra though 
but I saw firsthand um, people trying to mod their cars to look like the cars characterized in the film, people dressing like the characters in the film, and you, uh, largely the language has been embedded into everyday street racing. Like, we always quote me and my friends, it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, winning's winning. You know, mm. there are, I'm sure there are other terrible lines from that movie, but it's great. You break a heart, I'll break your neck. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a huge defender of that movie, because when that movie's brought up, a lot of people roll their eyes. Um, but I gave up on the franchise after the um, second one. Um, I, w- I only watched it because Ava Mendez was in it, and I didn't think it was bad. I just thought, yeah, I got it, um, and I ignored it. And Tokyo Drift, I, I didn't care much about. Like, uh, I didn't bother watching it. But I was really shocked to hear that this was the seventh movie coming out when you suggested we do Fast and the Furious. So I watched them all in preparation for this podcast. And Dave, you're absolutely right. I love them. <laughs> I especially, especially 4, 5, and 6 were a lot of fun. Um, I think that Justin Lin uh, handled the series really well and steered it into a billion-dollar franchise. Tokyo Drift actually had me until the ending where he races on that mountain and the Yakuza boss puts his kid on the line. And I was just like, what? <laughs> and it was quickly with that movie, I just want to say it's great seeing Zachary Bryan in it. I'm, I'm a huge fan of um, Home Improvement, so it was just great to see him at the start. <laughs> what, what I loved about the 4, 5, and 6 is the team. I think the whole franchise went up 20 levels... With, as you said, The Rock when he was cast in it. The whole Brazil world was amazing to me. I really, really loved it. The shootouts were amazing. The action scenes were directed with a lot of skill. But the great thing about this series is the team. The, for some reason, the whole cast, I just really loved them all. I really liked Tyrese Gibson, Ludacris. I thought they were really funny. Um, and, you know, they all had really attractive girls like Michelle Rodriguez, who's a tough chick, Georgiana Jordana. Boost, Brewster? Brewster, Is that yeah. how you pronounce it? I think she's stunning. Absolutely stunning. Uh, Song Kang, who played, um, uh, what's his name? Han, is that it? Han, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He had a great side story with Hal Hart. Hardo, if I'm pronouncing her her name correctly, I felt really bad when she dies in like the is sixth. Gal Gadot? Ga- is it Gadot or Hado? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's a if silent it's a silent G. G. I, it I don't Gal know. Maybe Gadot. maybe it is. Gadot. She's Giselle in the franchise. Hey, Giselle, yeah. I thought I thought it was really sad when she dies because I really got attached to the team and. I think Justin Lin did a really great job. I think he's a very underrated director. I think he did amazing physical um, chase sequences, amazing car chase sequences. But on top of that is physical fight scenes. I think they're handled really well, particularly with the sixth one. I know how well you remember it. Um, they're in London, and um, Tyrese Gibson and Sung Kang fight this martial arts guy in the like um, in the train station, and Michelle Rodriguez is fighting Gina Carano. And what's yeah. happening in that fight scene are two different generations. The modern now is turning more, you're seeing a lot more MMA style fighting, uh, more realistic and a lot more Brazilian jiu-jitsu in modern movies. And the other style of fighting, which is what Tyrese and Sun Kang were fighting, were the old style, the Kung Fu films. And what that scene shows is that the director understands the two conventions of the genre and its history by showing them side by side and juxtaposing together. I, I think he has a lot of skill. But Fast and Furious 7, we came into this, you suggested this, and because we have to talk about it the tragic death of paul walker which you know just set set off a flare all over the world it was really really heartbreaking and a beautiful send-off in this film which we'll get to yeah absolutely i mean it's reminiscent of heath ledger although uh paul walker never had the acting uh chops of heath ledger absolutely 
but it's reminiscent when somebody dies mid movie uh the same as brandon lee uh with the crow wasn't it yeah Um, and and it hit a chord with people because people grew up with this franchise they fell in love with it you know um for 10 years or so so when he died and in the during the production of this movie it really hit a chord with a lot of people yeah definitely and the, obviously the way he died in a car accident uh where he wasn't the driver and speed may have been a factor yeah, yeah wasn't that awful yeah but then everybody came out with quotes about you know if i die in a car accident he said uh this isn't an exact quote but it was something like if um I die in a car accident, you know, don't be sad for me because I will have been smiling, you know, or something Yeah. to that effect. Look, there's always an outpouring when a celebrity dies. People come out of the woodwork to say how much they liked them. Obviously, with somebody like Robin Williams, who we did a retrospective of, it's universal. You don't find many people who are like, well, I hated Robin Williams <laughs> because yeah. he had so many, you know, family-friendly and fun and, like, memorable roles. And then... One person I know, when Philip Seymour Seymour Hoffman died, they said he was their favourite actor. And it was an opinion I'd never heard before. Because, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a good actor. He's won an Oscar. You know, he has many memorable roles. Yeah. But just, I had never thought he would be somebody's favourite until he was dead. You know what I mean? Like, people find... Uh, everything is forgiven in death. Everything seems to be... Especially if they're young. Like they, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And so even if you thought Paul Walker had some wooden acting, I mean, you've just raved about how much you liked him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, but before this, I hadn't exactly heard you talk about him. It's not to, I'm not attacking you. <laughs> no, no, you're right. When I was in, um, in 2001 in college, I remember I watched the first Fast and Furious movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. I thought jumping the train at the end, I owe you a 10 second car, the fact that his car went up on two wheels, all these things were so memorable. When we went out to the car park driving home, everyone was revving their cars. (laughs) Movie ended, people were still in that world. And um, that's like a credit to Gary Scott Thompson who created these characters and, and, and all that sort of thing, even if it has elements of point break in it and other things, you know, it's just, it was a lot of fun. And for me, the second film was like just trying to capitalize on that. And it felt like, uh, you know, replacing Vin Diesel with Tyrese didn't work. He's reduced to a joke in this film, in Fast and Furious 7. And then 3, Tokyo Drift is taking it even further from its, its, it's like a thing you loved about it. You know, Paul Walker's not even in it. Dom gets a cameo right at the end. But it's this guy with a very thick Texan kind of accent who you have to suddenly like. And he's not exactly Paul Walker, which is what's missing from Tokyo Drift. And then Fast and Furious, the fourth film, if I may touch on, it had a heavy CGI element that I... Uh, I hate... Was, that's the part I hated the most about the fourth absolutely. one. Absolutely. It had me the whole time until they were racing under that mountain. and I, It just took me out of it. I'm just like, it's that, like a exactly. video game. And it, it looks like a, a first draft years. as well. Yeah, yeah. It went on for ages. Just like, how could you sit there in the edit and go, this is so exciting. I'd be like going, it looks like a computer game. <laughs> absolutely. And look, I mean, I want to get to the seventh film. So just briefly, that was terrible. The fifth film, obviously having The Rock in it, everybody was drawn back to it. The film, you know... Oh, man, it went up 20 levels with The Rock. When he walks in, you know, I want these movies. I'm just like, wow. (laughs) Mm. And keeping all of that going for the sixth film, its continuation, you know, and then 
the London element. I mean, it's now it's more global. They've got more intertwinings with government and more ability to build fast and amazing cars and everything is just upped. Uh, so at a certain point, I feel like we're going to hit the ceiling on this because this film, they've sort of gone, what can cars do? What are the limits of cars? Well, cars can't fly. As um, you see Jack, Brian's kid, uh, throw a car out of the van. Yeah. And he says, cars can't fly, <laughs> but that's alluding to later on. Yeah. They're going to fly, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, he's playing that parachute game. Is they going to fly? And as well, I mean, cars going from building to building in the, one of the tallest buildings in the world in Abu Dhabi, you know, um, they just kind of picked all these ridiculous things and said, we're going to build scenes around making these things happen because they're trying to up the ante, you know? Mm. I saw the Mission Impossible 5 trailer before the film, and I don't know if you've seen it or if you don't mind a spoiler. Yep. Ethan Hawke, Tom Cruise, is hanging onto the side of a plane as it's taking off. I mean, this is like going from the very first film of Mission Impossible where he's being lowered down and has to, you know, stay elevated, get the knock list, all that sort of thing. Now he's on the side of a plane. You know, you've got to up the ante. People won't want yeah, to come back. Yeah, before that, he was on top of one of the tallest buildings in yep. in the world, you know, climbing it, which was a very exciting scene. Exactly. And I, I was thinking while I was watching these trailers that you um, you were totally right Everyone is very spoiled for choice right now. I had Mission Impossible 5, I had Avengers Age Voltron, Jurassic World, and then San Andreas, which is the new film with The Rock. Yeah. The trailer for that, it was like all earthquakes, 2012, Day After Tomorrow type stuff, but it's just built in action and The Rock's a hero and I don't know. It looks like it's going to play exactly to that Fast and Furious audience. But let's jump into Fast and Furious 7, which is how we know it here in Australia. <laughs> If you uh, drink every time they say family... <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> you'll be wasted. <laughs> uh, note, Justin Lin was not on board for this. It's been given over to James Wan, who has close ties here in Australia uh, from the Saw series. He's a very solid horror director. And, and of course, um, yeah, but... Uh, Justin Lin was not attached to this. Justin Lin, by the way, has been on since uh, Tokyo Drift all the way to six. I think he deserves huge credit for steering this franchise into a billion-dollar, you know, super series. Absolutely. Uh, I think five and six really solidified it because Fast and Furious, like, could have easily been the last one. Yeah, film. absolutely. Th these are street races, thugs that are still, like, low-grade sort of thing my favorite scene in fast and the furious was when they raced the ferrari guy he goes oh what kind of car you got and he goes more than you can afford pal ferrari and you revs the car and he goes smoke him and what you're seeing there is two opposing economies one the wealth you know the ferrari puts all his faith in you know money's gonna destroy everyone and the other two really a low-grade um people that steal um, but they're, they're in that world the whole time they're building cars and everything like that and then of course what happens the um paul walker absolutely smokes the rich wealthy guy who's probably a producer rob cohen put cast in the <laughs> film um yeah and now they're they're pretty much secret agents super agents that are using martial arts skills against the best um security teams in the world you know just crazy stuff i'm like all right i gotta get my head around this <laughs> But they also made a ton of money from the fifth film, The Brazil Heist. Yeah, that was brilliant, yeah. And so now they're the elite. Yeah. I mean, there's a scene in the sixth film where Luda, and in The Rock is in the scene as well, he buys all the cars. And it's like a Ocean's Eleven 
the thing I like about Ocean's Eleven is the team. The team is so attractive, and um, like the team are fantastic in Ocean's Eleven. But and I don't want to say one's better than the other. We should really do a podcast on the best teams in movies. You know, mm. <laughs> um, I'd love to do one. But um, I love the team in Fast and Furious. Like every person, I really love. I know they're over the top, attractive. They're in there for their um, almost caricature um, jokes like of Tyrese of Ludacris and everything like that they're playing, playing caricatures but I for some reason went with it I really love their comedy I really love The Rock he's the big muscly G.I. Joe guy and they reference that several times in the sixth one would somebody tell G.I. Joe here he needs a re-? you know stuff like that is great and he yeah and all, all the chicks oil. are yeah. <laughs> And all the chicks are over the top, ridiculously good looking, and they can drive cars, fight, and everything like that. You just such a surreal world, but I love it. (laughs) Well, it's geared towards the male fantasy. I mean, we saw in this one at the beginning, Dom is trying to help Letty remember because she still has no memory, and they go off to race wars, which sounds really racist, but (laughs) in fact, is something they invented. It's funny because I realized watching uh, all these Fast and Furious films that they have a real formula. And one thing about the dialogue I've noticed is that it's very call and response. So you set up and you pay off each line of dialogue. They say something just to set up the good line. It's like playing volleyball where they do a little set shot and the next person spikes it, you know? So, you know, she says, did we... Did we used to come here a lot about race wars? We invented says, it. We invented <laughs> it, you know? And and so everything is very call and response. You get a little cameo from Hector, who I was surprised I remembered the name of <laughs> from Fast and Furious. I was like, oh, that's like Hector or something? And he's like, good to see you, Hector. And I'm like, oh, it was. <laughs> and we get the Iggy Azalea cameo. Ooh, she is not an actress. <laughs> You're, you're getting that kind of race wars start off. Yeah, and um, which is a payoff, uh, which is just to bring it back to its roots, because that's ultimately what Fast and Furious was, was two supercars, who's going to win the race, and then they turned into a big spy movie. This is still a big action spy movie, but they, of course, at the beginning had to just show you, oh, by the way, these are our roots, <laughs> and we understand that. Just quietly, I want to talk about Ludacris for a minute. So in the first film, he has an afro and he's like... I think that's the second one. I don't think he was in the first one. Yeah, I think Ja Rule was his role in the first one. And he had the best line of all time. It's not how you stand by a car. It's how you race it. You got to learn that. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst line I've ever heard. Oh, there were not... There were some also not very good ones in this. I want to get to them. But my least favorite line is, um, what are we going to do now? You might want to put your helmet on for this next part. (laughs) And then he does the thing that I expected him to do, which was drive off the cliff. But you remember how Tyrese had two parachutes? Yeah. Like one to pull him out of the plane and then one to land him. I thought that there would be a second parachute that Dom would have that he would eject on that little cliff base, but he was just a roll cage anyway. (laughs) We get that kind of... I'd long predicted this about Furious 7 after Paul Walker's death. I had said that the way they will send off Brian is to have him... You know, he's got a family now. They can't risk that anymore. And they painted that through the entire film. Although I thought they wouldn't quite have enough footage and that at some point mid-film he would leave and they would all understand and then they would finish the film and the heist and whatever without him. Because of his brothers, they were able to shoot these additional sequences they never had before 
which is why all Jordana Brewster's dialogue is uh, very expositional, and she says things that are ridiculous, like she says to Brian, I'm pregnant, it's a girl, and she does not look pregnant at all. (laughs) And to find out the gender of a baby, you've got to be further along than that. (laughs) She looks flat, completely not pregnant. All that sort of stuff seemed to be added later to try and give him more reason not to do this anymore, you know? Well, that's the hardest thing I found when when I was writing up my review of this film. I, 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 from what I read, everyone's given this film a pass because of the tragedy that's happened. Like, that, like um, because I think Paul Walker died and they still had a huge percentage to shoot and then they rewrote it because of his death and they've had to add in all these scenes, take out all these scenes. Uh, I personally felt this movie was a complete and utter mess, but it's still going to make a lot of money because of the controversy that surrounds it. And it does have a very beautiful send-off at the end. But I I, I don't know. I just have to give my honest opinion and just say this this movie is a complete and utter mess. Everything was forced in it. They shelved, which we'll get to, they shelved the best character for 90% of the movie. The Rock. (laughs) The Rock. My gosh. They introduced... Things just didn't make sense. It became more of a Transformers film. And, like, with forced cameos as well, which is what I don't like. I I, want to blame James Wan, uh, like, heaps, because I don't think Justin Lin would make all these mistakes in the in this in this movie i think he would have handled for instance um ronda rousey the when she came on i I, she was handled really poorly in this yet gina carano looked really awesome i know gina carano's had a huge um you know background in film she's worked with sodenberg on haywire and things like that so she she's very comfortable in the filmmaking sense but ronda rousey for me really stuck out like a sore thumb her lines were delivered really awkwardly and things like that and i love ronda rousey like i'm a big fan of hers like she's been trained by Jean LaBelle and I can go into all that but like seeing her in then her delivery of lines was like oh this is awful and I don't have any I don't think she's to blame at all I think she was just handled by James uh, really poorly well I didn't I mean I knew what her contribution would be uh, in terms of like having a girl fight within the film that seems to be another thing they get into all the Fast and Furious films it's a couple of girls having a fight and I mean, Michelle Rodriguez really holds her own, which was a bit unrealistic as well. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it was just to make characters look tough. I don't know if you remember the beginning of the film uh, where Jason Statham is introduced and his brother is in a coma or in hospital. Yeah. And he just starts destroying the hospital on the way out and, like, putting a grenade into someone's belt and, like, completely endangering his brother's life just to make him look tough. That's all that scene was, because his brother is inside there. Why would he be, you know, destroying this building on the way out? I I love Jason Statham. I think he's a cool action hero. But didn't you feel he was shoehorned into every action scene? Like, all of a sudden, he appears at the funeral, and there's this stupid chase sequence where only Vin Diesel runs. No one bothers to go, hey, Vin, where are you going? Or Toretto, where are you going? He just chases him, and then they have this face-off, and then Kurt Russell appears. And I love Kurt Russell, by the way. And everything just felt forced. Why is he all of a sudden appearing in Dubai? Why all of a sudden he's appearing with the right exact um, off-road car when they were hijacking that, um, you know, getting the rescuing? I'll I'll tell you, Lloyd, I'll tell you. It's the horror movie element. He's the unkillable monster. <laughs> He's the Terminator. <laughs> He's the monster in these films and, and it's a horror director. So the scariest thing to do is to have him come through the door when you least expect it, you know, turn up when you least expect it. But also stuff was really out of character, like when 
Dom says, no more funerals, and then proceeds to drive his car straight at, what's his name, Deckard, Deckard Shaw? Yep, they just just crash into each other. Yeah, they could have died when he had a reinforced chassis. You know, look, I think, you know, Statham barely got any lines. You got the feeling that he was going to be a bit more of a talker from that scene where he goes, you don't know me, but you're about to, you know, uh, post credits sort of scene in six. Uh, You got the feeling he was going to get to say something, but most of the film, he's silent. Yeah. Interesting. You know, that's nothing. (laughs) We got the Rock and Statham fight out of the way really quickly. We got a rock bottom, the rock's finishing yeah, move in there as well. That was cool. And I thought that th- those action scenes were filmed pretty interestingly. Yeah, the camera flips and everything like that. That was like a really fresh take on the on a standard action scene. Did you know the blonde the rock is working with is married to someone famous, Lloyd? No, I didn't know that. She is married to Chris Hemsworth. Wow. Well, uh, the thing I like about her, she's part of the team from Five, from Rio. Five, yeah, yeah, and she, I think she carried on six. No, maybe she didn't, or she played a cameo she, because she Ava, was in six. Yeah, it wasn't as big a role. Ava Mendes played a cameo in the sixth one towards the end of the credit sequence, and I heard she's coming back in the eighth one, uh, which is great. But I just love that respect for the team. But what I hated in this was after that fight scene you talked about, they shelve him, and then she's out of the picture as well. Giselle, mm. she's not in it. Like I would like more respect. I know it's like a case they want to introduce more characters, uh, more action scenes, but have respect for that original team for as much as possible. I want to see that original team. I love the chemistry with them. I want to see them doing things more. You know, they had uh, two big. You're right. They they had two big um, family sacrifice moments too. The Rock basically catches her midair kind of thing and protects her while he lands yeah in the car. he saw that in batman the dark knight <laughs> there you go <laughs> and as well um brian protects his kid when the bomb explodes on their porch and he bashes his head into the the minivan but closes the door first to protect his son and so there's real like family emphasis you know and then we even lay uh, ladle a kid into the room with hobbs you know the rock has a daughter and uh she's like you know got attitude my dad says he kicked your ass your dad's on pain meds which is which is that call and response you know set up pay off that every bit of dialogue has did you think it was a bit of a cop-out to have the events of the sixth film didn't even result in the death of the bad guy so owen shaw is still alive yeah well I thought they would have more of that in the film, but I, I was just so shocked how they shelved a lot of that six part. I guess they can resurrect him now, and they can resurrect yeah, well, Jason Statham, I guess. But yeah, well, they resurrect Jason Statham by resurrecting Owen Shaw. He wakes up from the coma. He gets his brother out. Yeah, that'll be cool. <laughs> well, that's probably what's going to happen. They said they had plans up to ten, right? Yeah. And I, I feel like now they're going to need a new Caucasian actor to jump in here right you need to fill the void that paul walker you know leaves and as well i mean you're writing out jordana brewster and you're writing out you know just a whole backstory so i had some thoughts lloyd about replacement actors i just thought i'd pitch some at you all right so because of the chris hemsworth connection his wife being in the franchise i thought a similar level actor who will be around because his franchise is finishing is Liam Hemsworth 
He's already already worked with Statham in The Expendables 3, I think. His, uh, you know, sister-in-law is in this film franchise already. Hunger Games is finishing up, and he's probably that kind of young element that, you know, will get some butts and seats. Well, uh, I think that's a great idea, but do you think they really need a new character? Or do, yes. Yeah, they need one? Because I, yes. I felt... Um, he was really I know you think it's heavy, but I think that the core of it was Brian and Dom. Yeah, but I, I felt in this one understandably what happened, but Paul Walker was really on the sidelines on this and it was really Toretto, you know, pushing the family thing. Um, you know, trying to get his family back together. I don't know if he's gonna be the big central thing of it all now. Um, but yeah, I, I, like maybe just him and the rock, I think they should just zero in on. I don't think The Rock's going to stay with the franchise. Oh, right. He's doing He's gonna... too much other stuff. Yeah. Second suggestion. Ava Mendez's real-life baby daddy is Ryan Gosling. He doesn't seem to be doing much lately. As well, uh, he has driver's cred from Drive. They should bring that character in this. <laughs> well, he just needs to, to play opposite Vin Diesel well. Really, you need to, you need to bring in an ex-cop or an ex-criminal... Um, who is reformed and who by the end of the eighth film is part of the family. You need to have someone they don't trust that then they do trust by the end, you know? And the the thing with Dom is going to be, he's going to get Letty pregnant at some point. They're already married now. There was a secret wedding at some point in the past. So now there's going to be like little Doms, you know, and you've got to eventually write him out of the franchise around the 10th film. So you need to bring in somebody to be the new center of the franchise uh, basically, because, yeah, it's not going to last forever with just Vin Diesel. So, that uh, brings me to my third suggestion. And I like this one a lot, Lloyd. This is the one I think they should go with. Ready? Your move, Hollywood. <laughs> I feel like the person who would best fit this franchise is Charlie Hunnam, who's finished Sons of Anarchy, Jax is done, uh, he went on to Fifty Shades and they didn't keep him on Fifty Shades because that's not the kind of franchise he should be on and he wanted to commit to his TV show. Perfect. That's fine. Now he's free of commitment. He looks like the kind of guy who could stand opposite Vin Diesel and like they would look good together. Yeah, that's a right? great idea. He looks like the kind of guy that you would put some like grease on his face and it would look like that was intentional, you know? He seems like the kind of guy who could sit behind the wheel of a car and look like a driver the next film is going to be set in new york i have no idea what they're going to do but um i think they will bring someone in and the other rumor is that it's going to be one of paul walker's brothers who helped finish the film interesting so all right so is, is he an actor like that i don't know of or no okay paul walker's brothers uh just came in as basically as body doubles and then they cgi paul walker's face onto them to um, be in the scenes he was supposed to be in to make the film make sense, basically. There's there's room for it. I I would pick Charlie Hunnam. I think Ryan Gosling's probably out of their reach, uh, but I reckon, like, lowballing it, they could get someone like Liam Hemsworth. Yeah, I, I don't know who they're going to get, but I figure that's that's a few months away, the, um, the announcement of that. The exposition with Georgiana Brewster was pretty terrible. I want to talk about all the stuff I didn't like. <laughs> yeah, sure before I talk about the stuff I did, I guess. You know, she's like, I'm having a baby. Brian's not happy. She wouldn't be telling all this to Vin Diesel before she'd be telling it to Brian, but she does because obviously then you'd, you'd need Brian for those scenes. 
When you find that some bitch, just do me one thing. <laughs> Don't miss. <laughs> the Rock had some of the most predictable dialogue when he turns up with that gun at the end, the size of him. Yeah. And uh, she says, I hope you called the cavalry. There was no way he wasn't going to say that he was the cavalry. <laughs> and he says, Mama, I am the cavalry, or whatever he says. You know, it's just. That was the. And they do that slow zoom as if, like, that's the moment kids are going to cheer in the audience, you know? <laughs> I read online about the Tokyo Drift guy. I think his name's Lucas Black, but I might be wrong. You know how in Tokyo Drift he winds up talking to Dom mm-hmm. and we get to see that sequence in uh, this film? Yep. It ties up those loose ends. It fixes the, you know, chronological problem the film series had a little bit more. You sort of know where Tokyo Drift fits now. Besides his accent, which I'd forgotten about a little (laughs) bit, the uh, online criticism I've read about that scene is that he ages 10 years, (laughs) which of course he does. That's what my brother said. Well, geez, he got old really quick. (laughs) Yeah. Between, uh, Between scenes, because you're reminded of him looking younger i guess in that first bit and then between shots bam (laughs) yeah i found that really funny like the stress of racing against dom i I really wish they stretched out tokyo a lot more like they kept han alive a lot more before he goes off to tokyo and dies um i know they have to kill him sometime because that's they've referenced that several times he's going to go to tokyo so this is doom um, over Han's head. He's like a, you know, character that's dead. You know, you know he's going to die yeah. at some point. But I really liked him. He, and and then when he lost his girl in the sixth one, uh, it just would have been great to see this character who's lost someone just go through the motions, I think. They, they lost big when they got rid of him. <laughs> you know, part I hated the most was the whole... Uh, w- when the car flew through those buildings in um, uh, Abu Dhabi, was it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I... I why didn't they just ask the Jordan, the, the the Jordanian prince, oh, there's something in your car, can we just have it? It's for national security. Like, I'm sure he would have went, yeah, sure, man, just, ha- just take a look and just get it out, you know? And why did they have to go through his whole security and everything? It didn't make any sense to me at all. Look, a lot of things about that sequence don't make sense. <laughs> the fact that they were able to get into the party... Look, even going further back, the Bollywood actor who gets them into the party he gets sent that by ramsey the girl and uh he goes yeah and i sold it why did he sell it what was the what was the point of that like <laughs> he just sold it so they could you know have that sequence yeah, exactly it was so shoehorned it's like why and then why the, we- <laughs> the bit where they're keeping the gates open like they're doing nothing and they're like oh we can't hold it much longer and this gate is like half down <laughs> as if they've stopped the sequence on just one gate it's a shame to keep a beast in the in a cage or something it was like, oh, what a beautiful car <laughs> and yeah look beautiful car the other thing is vin diesel just casually picks it up <laughs> yeah yeah i asked my brother is that possible and he said yeah i think it is with those cars <laughs> yeah Still. I'll have to double check that. I don't want to put my brother on the spot. He's a mechanic, by the way. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we won't put Josh on the spot. <laughs> you, you, my favourite comedy bit is of the sixth one, when Tyrese Gibson was looking at all the pictures on the wall 
and he's going you know what's weird it's like we're chasing mini um mirror versions of us i mean that's you that guy could be me he could be like the funny guy that guy's definitely you you know and it's exactly right like the the screenplay and the movie is aware of of those conventions like that that comedy the i just didn't feel it with this i I just felt everything was just so forced just so shoehorned in like it just didn't make sense like why are they jumping from building to building oh the brakes don't work why don't the brakes work yeah what why don't why is jason statham here all of a sudden (laughs) that was the worst thing about that like he just appears with a gun and just shoots up in the air just like yeah okay (laughs) because and i know we're all giving it a pass because of the tragedy around it but it wasn't great and the Jason Statham bit was so frustrating because they're going to get that so they can find Jason Statham. Oh, but he's right there. Yeah, what the hell, man? That doesn't make yeah, any that sense. That doesn't make any sense. He's right there. Like, right, right there. You got hit. Let, let's get yeah, him. Let, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need that thing anymore. You just hit him with the car that has the thing in it, but who cares? And Kurt Russell comes across as a god. You know what I mean? Like, he's got the ultimate team. Just, you know, have armed guys with him the whole time. Oh, I don't know. Look, after they do the plane thing, why doesn't Kurt Russell go, we'll do the Abu, uh, Abu Dhabi job? Like, why do they have to do that job? Yeah. They're because just like, they, oh, we have to get it from this Jordanian prince. Oh, yeah, like, uh, look, we'll we'll tell him this is a call for national security or whatever, and we'll just ask him to get that piece from the car. We're not going to hurt the car. There's just a piece in the car that we really need. Hell, I'm sure with... Like, the implication that Kurt Russell has a lot of money, he has exotic beer, he can get him any car they want. Can't they just pay the Jordanian prince just to look at the car and get a piece out? Like, oh, God. I know we're dwelling on it too much, but I'm sorry, that took me completely out of the movie. Yeah. I get it. I do. Uh, For me, the inaccessible road Thing went on for a long time you know there were they jump out of the car uh the cars out of the uh the ship yeah sorry not the ship the plane and pretty much they go to this inaccessible road and tyrese is not even any use at all <laughs> and just floats away they got the only laugh in the cinema that i noticed oh the, my cinema was really packed i saw this on the second day it opened eight people were laughing at like everything he was saying <laughs> well Maybe I just had a less funny school holiday crowd. <laughs> um, but that was very knowing. And Brian says basically to the camera, just when you thought it couldn't get any better. Like he's just talking to the audience. He's not talking on those two-way radios or anything. Mm. They introduce the love interest, Ramsey, who's basically a hacker. And she must be for Luda, really. Because she's from, he is also... Yeah, she's from Game of Thrones and I think is absolutely stunning. <laughs> but all the girls in this are ridiculously good looking. Oh, every party they go to, you go, oh, will there be babes there? <laughs> yes, there will. And don't even think that there won't be babes covered with glitter in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> and uh, if we're going to go to that race wars thing, like there'll be some chick in a G-string and half a skirt that, who has to bend down. Yeah, that was like so like full on. I was just like, wow, okay. Right at the get right from the get go, <laughs> they they got right up in her face. Like I'm supposed to know who she is. Like she's some model or something. Mm, maybe she but is. I, she's renowned in America, but I I don't know anything about her. We don't know anything about her. <laughs> You're not famous enough in Australia. We don't know who you are. <laughs> it was weird that Shaw was dropped in to the same bit in the same sort of roll car cage that he needed to be in, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, 
It didn't make any sense. And the bit where well, he Ramsey's so he knew that they were going to get Ramsey the hacker, or was he just tracking them the whole time? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't get that at all. I don't get what his motivation is. Well, I, I, I know it's revenge. He's trying to kill them all off. Yeah, right? he's getting revenge. Yeah, I know it's revenge, but geez. So he's following them. Yeah. But I don't know how he followed them. Like, they took off in a plane. He didn't have a plane on standby. How did he know where they were going? And then when, say, he got in a plane and was following them and going, yeah, that's right. They're, oh, they're jumping out in cars. Like, he, he wouldn't have been ready for this, these scenarios, you know? Because he goes, the first instance Toretto knows of him is uh, he calls him up from Han's phone and yep. or, or something like that and says you're about to and blows up the box and he's assuming that they've survived that explosion because he gave them the warning um so they were able to get away and then the, there's a whole sequence that it just goes over that toretta goes back to japan to get han's body and put it back and just i don't know the little things i was thinking well couldn't couldn't he kill him while he's traveling to japan or something you know uh, that's true yeah, yeah you know little things like that he's not with his team now he's at his weakest point <laughs> yeah he's feeling sad about Han. kill him now yeah <laughs> anyway the fighting in the bus that's like uh the tony jar is it yep the the fighter from ong back i think so yeah did that too slow line when he locks brian in the cage and you know that's going to come back and he's going to be able to say too slow back to him. And when they're fighting at the end of the film and he, you know, falls down that elevator shaft and he goes too slow and he yells it after him. I was like, oh, I saw that coming so far away. When he grabs the spoiler of Letty's car and he runs up the bus, I mean, the gravity doesn't really look like it would work at all in that scenario. I, I actually love that sequence. I thought that was so cool and exciting. And then he jumps and just makes it on uh, Michelle Rodriguez's car. And she goes, you're right? He goes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you good? Yeah, 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 yeah. you good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That whole thing felt like it was spoiled for me. Oh, because you saw the trailers? I think that was the trailer. Yeah, it was. It, it was a, a, a two-minute trailer. It didn't have, and it played better than what than how you saw it at the movies because it was yes. all silent, and you you just got this cool action scene. Uh, I wish they just had that sequence as a, as I saw it in that trailer because it was awesome. Something about it not having music just had that eeriness, uh, like that really immediate feeling to it. Exactly, and that made it when i actually saw it within the context of the film seem like it took forever yeah and it was diluted it was just, as well <laughs> it went on and on yeah, and on yeah. And was, yeah longest part of the film for me we go into the middle east they go right after that from there to abu dhabi and as you said it was ridiculous everywhere they go women wear no clothing they drive five cars nobody carpools in case what one of them has to drive somewhere in abu dhabi yeah I know they don't have back seats, but there are two people in the front of the, each car, you know, would work. <sighs> anyway, they had that kind of everybody in slow motion, every chick dancing in slow motion at the first. Yeah, like a music video, had. yeah. And they and they were like, just in case you didn't realize the hacker, Ramsey, is good looking. Here she is getting out of the yeah. water in a bikini <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, we've all seen Halle Berry and Bond get out of the water. This isn't exactly the same, but, you know... <laughs> nod to that the billionaire penthouse party i don't know <laughs> tyrese singing happy birthday to some random girl i don't think they would have tolerated them as long as no they no not as long as that my god i don't think i don't think every guard would be distracted by that either <laughs> so they I, could just i love it how it cuts back to ludicrous and he goes i wish i could i wish i didn't see that <laughs> or something like yeah. that that was great 
yeah, I mean, it was hard to watch, though. I was just like, this wouldn't work. <laughs> this is not a plan. The worst part was um, uh, Ronda Rousey's line, you're not that charming, bitch. <laughs> that was yeah. terrible. What's up with that? <laughs> oh, my Jeez. God. And nothing against Ronda Rousey. I'm, 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 and I'm not just saying that because I'm scared out of my, out of my mind what she could do to me. But I, I just think the director just didn't handle the celebrity cameos well. Like, I think that's signs of a weak director when they're, oh, we got Ronda Rousey. We got to get her to say something cool. Whereas, whereas I think Justin Lin would have handled her more as, oh, he, she's just one of the guards, you know, but it would have been like a little Easter egg. Oh, that's, that's, um, isn't that cool? That's uh, Ronda Rousey, you know what I mean? Without having her as a massive focal point like we got to have shots showing her off and things like that and get her to say these lines i, I just think she was mishandled did you know the the rock and ronda rousey did a spot at wrestlemania when they were promoting the movie Oh, that's cool and they both both came out to the ring and they uh you know talked to the audience they were the good guys and then some bad guys came out and they beat them oh, up that's the also end. i wish i saw that <laughs> yeah it's just um just to promote fast and furious basically hmm and uh, she was only in the film to set up a girl fight between her and Letty. It was weird how Letty, like, remembered everything. But anyway, I want to talk about that when we talk about the end of the movie. I, I just want to say, when the car, when they sh- shoot that car out the windows in between the buildings, th- yeah. there's just some bit of edge that's lost in it. Now, I know a lot of CGI is used throughout the whole Fast and Furious franchise, but that sequence to me was so... And I guess this goes for the parachuting part at the beginning of the film, but it was t- so CGI, it lost a bit of that that edge for me. Like, Death Proof was all realistic, and the stunts, there's just something in that you feel immediate fear and terror for the people that they could actually get hurt. There is a danger for the actors or stuntmen or whatever. In this one, it just really felt, oh, that's just CGI, you know? And, and for Fast and Furious, I guess, I don't know, I just wanted a bit more of a practical effects in some of it rather than like it was just so obvious the car was cgi as it was yes. crashing through the windows it just looks like something out of transformers and i, I and again right. i am aware there is so much cgi in um fast and furious sure and obviously they weren't going to do that stunt for real <laughs> yeah no no way um <laughs> it was a crazy thing to happen but anyway the the thing i noticed in that editing and this is the only part of the film i really noticed this was the absence of paul walker uh, they didn't have many shots of him in the car. And at the end, he says, still miss the bullets, huh, Brian, or something, as he looks at him, and there's no response. And it looked like a pasted-on face in that shot. That was the only time I thought he looked see. Yeah, a lot of people light. pointed that out. They could see shots that were really obvious. I personally didn't notice anything, and I felt I, I, I was looking for that a lot. And I, yeah. so, I don't know, the magic worked on me, but I guess a lot of people saw through it just that one was the only time i really i was happy to go along with it and i didn't really notice it only that shot when he says still miss the bullets brian when the car's gone out the window and the lighting didn't look quite right on paul walker Mm. and i thought like that that had definitely been a body double um that was the only one i really noticed look in my notes i wrote down where's the rock a couple of times lloyd (laughs) where's the rock again the team the team is what makes this wasn't it cool in number six or number five 
when um the rock is taking him away and then they get ambushed by in in the favelas by that um security team and he shoots up all of the rocks team and it's paul walker and vin diesel helping the rock get out of it and the rock goes all right i'll i'll team up with you sort of thing that was like a magic moment and that's what i loved about it the rock being part of that team and the rock was with them the whole way in number six you know that big action scene at the end it was so cool that he's the best character in the team and they shelve him for 80 percent of the movie or 90 percent of the movie and yeah as you notes say where's the rock well you've got to imagine he was shooting another i movie. know i know you know i mean and that's why you can't stay with this franchise because the rock doesn't have time to be in these movies but he's so cool dave i love the rock i want to see him more <laughs> Well, then you're going to have to watch The Rock's movies like San Andreas. <laughs> but I want to see or, him um, in this team. I love the team. And everyone's lo- yeah. the team's changing. I'm so, I w- if, if they lose Therese and, um, Luda. and Ludacris, uh, I don't know. That's like the soul for me is gone. <laughs> I feel like they'll stick around. They probably need the money more. But, <laughs> but you're Vin saying Diesel's- they don't have anything else to go to. <laughs> Luda's doing music again, all right? <laughs> um, I don't know what Tyrese is doing, but... I think, um, you know, there's such a back end financially on this film that they're going to get a decent actor to replace Paul Walker. Vin Diesel's going to stay till the 10th one or so. And look, I think they're going to set this up eventually for a younger generation. Vin Diesel needs this franchise as well. Like he he went out after Fast and Furious 1. I'm on my own and... Uh, I don't think Pitch Black was that great of a franchise and the Pacifier and things like that. And he came back uh, on the fourth one. And I think that's where he belongs. You know, I'm nothing against Vin Diesel. I, I really like him, but that's his ground. You know, that's where he's really comfortable. I don't know. He's Groot now. So, <laughs> I love Groot. You know. <laughs> My favorite part about this film was probably the references to the first film. The fact that at the end... He went and got that one last ride. He went and got his muscle car from the first film, the black one, and went up on two wheels and crunched into Jason Statham's car that way. Yeah. Um, so he ignored the roll cage, the, the reinforced um, body yeah, of the car. The yeah. As well, Paul Walker drops his car down so he can go underneath and you know hide behind yeah, the truck. Yeah. Look, they're hiding from that God's Eye software, which just reminded me of Batman when he has the whole, like, everybody's mobile phones are sonar for yep, me. Yep, that's a great comparison. Yep. Um, and it gave me the shits because, like, the Ramsey chick, they didn't know what she looked like, right? And so if she's a ghost and they didn't even know she was a chick, you know, they don't know who Ramsey is, then they wouldn't have had her voice or, like, picture on file. And even if the terrorists got her picture... They wouldn't have had a voice um, for but that. But they had her uh, kidnapped in that... Um, but she didn't talk. I don't know. She was gagged and stuff. Anyway, the um, the thing that annoyed me was like, why did they go anywhere near cameras and stuff if they wanted to not be found? Um, why didn't they wear masks? Why didn't they duck down when they were going past speed cameras and like traffic lights and whatever? You know, if she just ducked down, they wouldn't have found her at all. That God's Eye sequence was annoying too because of, like, passing her between the cars. You know, when they go around each other and pass her from window yep. to window. It's like... I was just thinking she would have just been chopped in half. <laughs> As well, she's moving with a computer. It was just too much. Well, but she anyway. played a better... She played a more believable, super intelligent person than... What's her name? The one that was married to... Um 
Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. <laughs> you, you want to see Denise you, Richards? It's because, yeah, Denise Richards in uh, The World Is Not Enough or one of the James Bond ones. You know me too well, Dave. You know what I'm thinking, you know. I knew, we, I knew you were going there. <laughs> I did. We got Avengers coming up and I'm a little bit worried because you like a team that sticks together and I can only imagine at the end of Avengers they're all going to be going their separate yeah, ways. Yeah, but they're going to be split into two teams. <laughs> no, they're not. Not at all. Don't spoil it for me, Dave. That's how I'm imagining it, all right? All right, but I mean, we know Civil War is coming, and that's like uh, Iron Man versus Captain America. Yeah, but Iron Man's going to have his team, and Captain America's going to have his team. It's going to be a team within a team movie. (laughs) Did you like how the... um the police turned up in Furious, Fast and Furious 7, only to be exploded, <laughs> like, right away. Yeah, that was great. The police don't <laughs> exist in this in this series. No, terrorists exist, but the police do not. <laughs> the Rock had some great lines at the end. Daddy's got to go to work. I've seen him hashtag that on Instagram, so I kind of saw that coming. When he breaks off his own cast, you know. You got the whole Dom versus Shaw with the crowbars and wrenches and stuff like they had that fight sequence but man was that dialogue terrible the thing about street fights is the street always wins (laughs) (laughs) and then he stomps the ground whoa i was just like that's well it's environmental you know (laughs) that doesn't even make sense anyway the street fight in general uh made me think of knock around guys which is another film vin diesel was in he talks about how many street fights... And he beats you know, up Wayne Grove from The Heat. I don't know, does yeah, he? Yeah, well, that, the, the same actor who plays Wayne Grove in Heat who gets shot by Robert De Niro at the, in the end. Um, yeah, that's the same actor. He gets beat up in that knock-around, guys. I think. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. He talks about how, how many fights you got to be in to make your skin tough like leather and stuff. Yeah. That's, that's all I thought of when he was talking about street fights. Look, The Rock took out that drone plane. Yeah. With, uh, with a minigun? Like a, no, that was the chopper. He shot at the chopper with okay. that. But before that, he's driving like an ambulance. Oh, yeah. He drives How it did he know? <laughs> off a bridge at a drone plane that he takes out. And then they say, he just double tapped our drone. <laughs> <laughs> and that was insane too. And look, the most crazy thing was Dom doing the um, belt of grenades at the chopper which he had to use nos to you know shoot himself up into the air to get that high to attach the grenades to them even though he could have just thrown the grenades (laughs) but anyway the thing was though he was the only person who really got hurt in all these stunts everyone was fine all the time at the end letty remembers everything and he's uh basically they were giving him medical attention and they stopped that so that she can just talk to him and say that she remembers everything and that if he dies, she'll die. And then she says, uh, you know, I remember everything. And he says, it's about time. You know, what do you do with this? What do you do with this information? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> I, I don't care about Letty and Dom. They're not the focus for me. And it's hard to build a lasting kind of relationship like this in a franchise because you've had Dom be with other people along the way. You know, he was with... Uh, Elsie Pataki or whatever her name is uh, Chris Hemsworth's real life wife in one of the films because he didn't remember or thought she was dead and then she didn't remember him and stuff like that you know she kind of goes away so 
they've, they're working really hard to make the Letty and Dom thing work and they'll probably saddle her with a baby or like a baby at the end of the eighth film, you know, a pregnancy, you know, cause now they've lost the Brian and Mia story. Yeah. Basically, uh, you can't really get Luda to, you know, propose to Ramsey or anything. He's still going to have this playful fight with Tyrese about it. You know, I just think they, they're pushing this family element a lot and now they have to follow through with it. <laughs> well, I think that's that's what I, one of the things I really liked about the whole Fast and Furious um, franchise is these re- are these references to the original. Like it, it does have a very good heart at the end. It's all about this guy trying to keep his family together, and I love the endings, like how they reference it, how they're all um, sitting at that barbecue area all together. Like in the end, it's this whole again team going through these all these. Um, issues together and i guess we we just get straight into it the the last scene where they have the drive off is so beautiful and it really was touching um when i saw that i just loved when when i saw vin diesel and a young paul walker from the first one it just hit me with nostalgia right away going wow this series has spanned a long time you know we've grown up with paul walker and vin diesel look how young they look and they really celebrated that element and i think that's what's that that's a big difference between fast and the furious and transformers is that this film has a lot of heart, you know, and um, as tiresome and as awful as this screenplay was for Seven, how Toretto, and I do agree with all the critics, he says family way too much and pro- probably overplays the whole thing. It still has a good heart, you know. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I think the Wiz Khalifa song played perfectly yeah, I gotta, over yeah. the sequence. And some people have said, did that really happen? Or was that a dream? You know, did he never say goodbye to him? And it's open to interpretation. Exactly. And really. I love it how he drives off. It's a, such a beautiful shot. One drives off the um, Toretto's car to the right. And then, um, you know, you have uh, um, Paul Walker's car driving off into the left as if he's driving off into the heavens. You know, it was just so beautiful. One person our cinema just started clapping, you know, at the end of that. I yeah. felt everyone was really touched. I was touched at the end, and I really didn't like the movie at all. Like, I, yeah. I came Look, in... I yeah, yeah, I, I came agree. in wanting to enjoy it. And then halfway, I thought, nah, this film's a mess. And then that scene came on at the end. I'm like, wow, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and that's what you remember, yeah. isn't it? I mean, people are going to remember the end. Yeah. You wow them in the end. And I think that's um, what um, got all the critics. They forgave... All the critics I, I looked up forgave the movie for its flaws, understanding that because of the you know the tragedy that happened, they had to rewrite a lot of scenes. It is a mess. They acknowledged that. And it was just great you know, to see them at least come out with Sonic in the end. I don't want to give them too much of a pass. I know it's a tragic thing to happen, but I think um, the director could have handled this a lot better. There were a lot of scenes to cut out. A lot of things were way too forced. But again, yeah, very, very beautiful send-off at the end. Uh, apparently that was Paul Walker's actual car. He owned the white car that he drove in the film. That was his car. So it becomes a very personal thing. Obviously putting up the text for Paul makes it very personal. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but Vin Diesel had a daughter recently. Yep. Named her Pauline. Oh, wow. Um, and said that he felt like Paul Walker's presence was in the room there when she was born. Um, so I feel like obviously they've bonded over the years. They're good friends. Everyone feels for them. And, uh, you know, rest in peace, Paul Walker. The montage obviously is, you know, a fitting tribute. 
the film ends very well. It was a credit to his family for helping finish the film. And really, I mean, that's... It's a good end point for his character as uh, well. Absolutely. As, you know. What a beautiful send-off. And Universal cut up a really good video... Uh, um, to the song um, I'm Going Home I can't actually remember the official title of the song but it, it, it's gone viral everyone would have seen it I'm Coming Home you know that song and they cut up a really beautiful um, tribute to Paul Walker throughout the whole Fast and Furious franchise and I thought well how can they top that that's one of the most touching I've seen it like seven or eight times I cried the first time I saw it I thought it was so beautiful and then in this one I thought they did top it I thought it was such a beautiful they, ju- they just gave it a lot of time and a lot of respect and you can really feel it with the actors when they're on the beach how they're looking at Paul now Paul's not actually there they would have filmed filmed that for him you know writing that scene but you can really feel how much emotion they're really pouring into that 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 performance like there's nothing false about any of the tears in their eyes so to speak there's so much truth in that drama and when um, Vin Diesel's driving off and he's looking on you know he's really in that moment you know you really feel it and every audience member who's seen that seen that ending feels the same way vin diesel does it's really really interesting there are actually paparazzi photos of um the beach sequence and uh you can see very clearly it's one of the brothers most of the jordana brewster scenes were apparently with the brothers so they were particularly hard for her because they were oh yeah you know post uh paul walker's death but yeah the entire sequence at the beach obviously they're all you know the subtext of it being about Paul Walker and not about Brian, uh, you know, really adds to the audience as well. I mean, um, you can see it in everybody's faces. You yeah, know? that's right. Yeah, there's nothing yeah. false about their looks. You know, they they really no, they're, they're all mourning. Yeah, yeah. at that time because they've gone back to work after his death. This sequence has been added, and uh, yeah, that this is them honoring him. And you know, his daughter in real life, Paul Walker had a daughter, and she's going to get a big cut of this money because everything. He left everything to her and it was millions of dollars. And, you know, you get the sense that even though he won't be in any of the films after this, that they may even just keep, you know, paying his estate, basically, through the profits of this film. Because I get the feeling that, you know, uh, this is exactly what they're selling is that they're a family, you know. I think his family have everything to be proud of in Paul Walker's body of work. Yes, he wasn't a great actor at all, but you got to understand how easy it is for Fast and Furious, for that kind of movie to be a screw-up and to completely... Um, you know, ended at one or two. Paul Walker was handled really well by Rob Cohen, by Justin Lin. Uh, from what I gather, he was a really nice guy to work with, but he was just such a great poster child, a really great, great representation for the whole entire franchise. They really got lucky with him. I, th- I think he's, you, you know, he never got off into other movies that did great, but he, he, he was so great in this. I think the whole automotive industry, or maybe not the whole automotive industry, but especially the street racing subculture, owe him you know a huge gratitude for being that poster child that represents the street racing subculture that brought it into the mainstream because of fast and the furious because of paul walker and vin diesel people now have you know you know an understanding of this subculture uh, an understanding of language that they can emulate you know what i mean a style that they can copy so i think um the fans of paul walker his family should be very proud of his body of work exactly paul walker was intensely likable as well mm. even if his highest achievement is fast and the furious like this is a big Im- impact you know what i mean this this isn't exactly like 
it's a career to be proud of. This is a tribute. This whole film is a tribute to him. So, you know, it's one you can sort of be very proud of. It's just the same as uh, Heath Ledger's final film is The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. And to complete that film, they needed the help of multiple actors. It was Jude Law. It was um, Colin Farrell. Johnny Depp and they all had to play different elements in this Imaginarium and they none of them took paychecks all of them wanted the film to just be finished so people could see his final performance and it was like a respect thing and and I think when it counts you know they've all been hugely respectful here of Paul Walker and yeah I mean you never heard them say a bad thing about him you know in his life sort of thing yeah absolutely he was just a great uh, he the chemistry of him of of him worked great with everyone else. You know, he just had he just gave off that impression that he's a really likable, nice guy, and everyone had fun with him on set. And he just gave that impression. You know. Do you remember? In it must have been part six that stunt where they have the tank going on. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, the one thing I thought I'd say is the craziest stunt for me is the one where Dom launches himself off the car and catches her midair, Letty midair, and, like, crashes into that car on the windscreen. I saw it at home uh, when Fast and Furious 6 was on TV, and I sort of just couldn't stop laughing because I thought (laughs) it was the craziest stunt I've ever seen. (laughs) Is there something... In the world of Fast and the Furious, that you decided was perhaps the craziest stunt you've seen, or was which which do you think? Well, is other the most over other the than top? number seven, like um, where they're crashing through the buildings, like because that yeah. would probably be the number one stunt scene for me. It was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> no, that's that's probably fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I think. yeah. Look, uh, hopefully you've enjoyed something about this podcast fast and furious seven i can't put words in your mouth but um (laughs) i think it's an enjoyable film yeah i think everyone should definitely go see it it's a very very flawed movie and that's understandable considering the circumstances that happened but i I will say to people if you grew up with um fast and furious or if you know of it and you're aware of paul walker's death definitely go watch this movie because it has a very beautiful touching ending exactly the next one from us will be Avengers Age of Ultron. That's coming out April 23rd. I can't wait, re- Dave. Our review will be up shortly after, as you can hear. We're both very excited about it. I don't want to spoil anything about it, so I don't want to talk about it at all before then, Lloyd, but uh, I'm very much looking forward to it Everyone well. can go listen to our superhero podcast. It goes on for an hour and a half, but we talk about all the superhero movies that are, uh, are set to come out between now and I think 2019, is that right, or 2020? I think it's 2019, but 2019, I mean, yeah. all the dates are shifting, you know, things yeah. just keep changing. It's impossible to pin down these dates. I mean, as I'd heard, what is it, Civil War, I think, was supposed to open the same week as um, Batman Superman or yeah, something, yeah. and it was like, a, I don't know if that's exactly it, but Marvel vs. DC, they had this one week, they'd both locked off, and DC had to move, yep. you know? Like, they're just locking in these dates and then they're pushing each other further in the year and later in the year. There's too much things involved in making a movie. Anything can happen. I don't understand how the people can lock off things like that. It's just crazy to me. Well, that's kind of how films work these days. They say, we want this film to come out Boxing Day. Therefore, you've got to make it before then. Be done shooting by here. Be done editing by here, you know, so we can promote it here. You can't rush art. That's a quite from Toy Story 2. (laughs) (laughs) fitting (laughs) no absolutely right though it does dilute the product 
let's say. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel as well, guys. You can find us at podmeifyoucan.com. Our YouTube channel, we review, obs- we review obscure films. Uh, they always have the element of a famous person in them. And, you know, there's something early in their career, late in their career, something where you may not have heard of the film before. And we've got new ones going up every week. So uh, that's one you can subscribe to. And, I mean, drop us a line on Facebook. Let us know what you thought of The Fast and the Furious 7 and the franchise. And, uh, you know, feel free to request a film along the way. We're going to cover the big ones this year. We're spoiled for choice, aren't we, Lloyd? Oh, absolutely. We're, we're at a great time. I think I'm envious of all the kids growing up with this generation. Like, I love the 90s, Dave, but we could count on our fingers how many blockbuster movies we had to look forward to, you know. The kids just seem every week they get like three or four. <laughs> um, briefly, I'd just like to talk about piracy. Uh, Fast and the Furious 7 has been pirated uh, over two million times at the time of recording this and uh, it's all a, apparently a handheld camera version of the film pretty insane with what's going on with all the piracy stuff in Australia the the one thing though is when I went to see this film I can absolutely sympathize with people who pirate because I got in line uh, for this movie Lloyd there were a ton of kids because it's school holidays I had to stand in this line forever $19.50 for my ticket right and then the person behind me was kicking my chair oh no (laughs) and then the the issue i had was when the film finished right that's fine because they've crammed in 16 trailers and ads at the beginning of the film the runtime is exaggerated it's not what they thought it was going to be so they're trying to get me out for the next session so they came around and started cleaning near me and i was waiting to see if there was a post-credits film uh, sequence, you know, set up for the eighth film or something with Ava Mendez or what was going to happen. And uh, so I'm sitting there waiting, you know, for the benefit of the podcast. Did you stick around? To no, the I didn't credits? actually. No. That's all right. There was nothing. So, and you could have learned that from IMDb, Dave. Look up that next time. <laughs> but pretty much I was sitting there and a staff member from the cinema, which was a village cinema, uh, came up to me and said, there's nothing after the credits if that's what you're staying for. And I thought, just let me sit and enjoy my credits. (laughs) That's horrible. You know, and so I'm $20 out of pocket. I'm, you know, two and a half hours of my time. And I mean, paying $19.50 for a movie is insane. If I'm taking my family or if I'm, you know, buying popcorn and drinks and stuff as well, you know, you can see the cost differential just... It's expensive. Yeah, like, come on, guys. We're paying a lot of money. And I love the cinema experiences. You know, watching a movie at the cinema, you're inclined not to look at your phone, not to look at your iPad. You're sitting there trapped in this world sort of thing, and this world is taking you to these places, and there's more information on the screen. It's just, for me anyway, a much greater experience. Like, that's just so ridiculous to hear that. Like, I can understand somebody kicking your seat. That just goes with the territory of people having conversations, people being obnoxious, you know, and things mm-hmm. like that. But for the for the staff to usher you out, that's ridiculous. They did everything but usher me out. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they basically started sweeping at my feet. Oh, no. Which, which, I mean, I was in the middle of the cinema, you know. They really had to make an effort to try and... Anyway. Uh, so, it was disappointing, you know. And I can see the convenience and the ease of which people, you know, could easily take a pirated version of Fast and Furious 7 offline. But ultimately, there is something different about the cinematic experience. And ultimately, it is against the law still. So... I find that the films that are going to suffer are all the ones 
that people haven't decided if they're going to watch, you know? When you look at the schedule, you're like, oh yeah, Jurassic World, I'm definitely going to go watch that. And Avengers 2, sure, I'm going to watch that at the movies. You know, these are like, you lock off these dates in your diary. You're not going to wait till a version of Star Wars is out on a camera, you know? Yeah. You're going to go see it at the cinema, aren't you? That's why there's lines out the door when Star Wars comes out. But what people sit on the fence with, they go, oh, The Rock's new film, San Andreas. I don't know if I want to see that, right? Just for an example. Uh, that's when you get the, the people downloading it because they, they don't know if they really want to see it, you know. They're ind- undecided, you know. They're indifferent about it. It's complicated, this world we're living in. <laughs> Too I much mean, choices. <laughs> everyone in Australia is getting Netflix now, Lloyd. Yeah, that's that's a big game changer. Uh, I still, yeah. I'm still yet to sign up because my internet is so terrible at home. Um, we, we just have the worst internet. We're like 10 years behind the rest of the world. It's amazing how I can upload these podcasts and our YouTube videos, Dave. It's absolutely a miracle with my internet connection. <laughs> Well, guys, support the podcast. Um, if you like what we're saying here, if you're a supporter of our podcast, we'd love you to go onto iTunes and give us a rating as well if you listen to it through iTunes. Thank you very much, everybody. We will talk to you next week for Age of Ultron, Avengers 2. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and Follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews.